Welcome back to the meanderings of a librarian. This episode is called finding your place or places because you probably have more than one. I am always amazed. I I thought of this title shortly after recording last week's session, which was finding your voice. And as the week progresses, it's amazing how many pieces of writing conversations come across or come into my life that tie in with the topic of the next episode. So I'm going to start with this quote. Now or never, you must live in the present. Launch yourself on every wave. Find your eternity in each moment. Fools stand on their island opportunities and look toward another land. There is no other land. There is no other life but this. I certainly didn't know who said that quote, but I'm going to tell you right now. Henry David Thoreau. We've probably all read some works by Henry David Thoreau, but this quote is included in a book called The Adventure Is Now by Jess Redman. So if you've listened to the last episode, you are you are aware of the fact that I've been a part of the first ever nerd camp CT Junior. So that is a nerd camp that is created for students. And what makes Connecticut's unique, I think, as far as I know, is that it's the only nerd camps junior that was created with students. They were a huge part of making this happen and they have been a huge part of allowing this to happen. We have student moderators that have been a part of today's sessions. It's it's Friday and we have student moderators that will be a part of or leading the discussions in tomorrow's sessions on Saturday. And uh, I'm just, as a teacher and as a librarian, I am beyond proud of how well all of them did. I was only in one session, but I heard from authors and I heard from attendees how professional these students were. And I have to let you know that these are students who are going to be seventh graders, going to be juniors in high school, going to be ninth graders in high school. It's really remarkable what they are able to do. Tomorrow's sessions, we even have a student who is just who has just finished his fourth grade year. He's going to be a fifth grader. I know he's going to be a phenomenal student moderator. So shout out to the students who are out there who are doing amazing things. I am just so proud to be in your life and a part of your lives. So getting back to this book, um, so I have the pleasure of being a moderator for an adult session of Nerd Camp CT tomorrow. And my the session that I'll be moderating is called Exploring Kid Lit. Um, 
and we're going to be looking at mental health and neurodiversity. Now, that sounds really super serious, and absolutely it is, but I know there's going to be a lot of humor in it, and I was able to purchase a book of each of the five authors who are on the panel, and of course I started reading them, and I've been doing some marathon reading in between all the other stuff. Um, and wow, how fun this has been. So that first quote that started off today's podcast is from The Adventure Is Now by Jess Redman. And she is one of the authors that will be in the panel. And I cannot wait to meet her, quote unquote, meet her. We'll be running these sessions on Google Meet. So I'm going to share a little more from her book with you because it totally ties in with this idea of finding your place. This is from page seven, Milton. Milton is the main character. I love this character already. I have not finished this book. I'm a bit in, and this begins the quote. Milton gasped and pressed his hands to his heart. The lone island he knew was an itty bitty, teeny tiny, super duper remote island in the middle of the Atlantic, much like the Isle of Wild. And just a little aside here, Milton has totally gotten into playing this video game, which is uh, the Isle of Wild. And it's his way of escaping the kind of the tricky life that he's living, the really difficult life that he's living right now. His parents are getting divorced. He Something happened to him during the school year. He's pretty much an outcast. And so the way that Milton is dealing with all of this is by escaping into a video game called the Isle of Wild. So now back to the quote. Milton's uncle was a naturalist who ran research studies there on this, the Lone Island, much like Seahawk. And Seahawk is the character that Milton is playing in the video game, the, in the Isle of Wild. So much like Seahawk, except not nearly as brawny or dashing, also not shipwrecked. So his uncle is not so brawny, brawny and dashing. Milton had only met Uncle Evan one time, back when he was five years old, and he had never been to the Lone Island. But once upon a time, it had been Milton's favorite place in the whole entire world. In that case, he said, perhaps I'll have a look. Then I'm going to jump over to page eight. And this is a letter that Milton received from his uncle. Dear Milton, I'm looking forward to your visit. It's pretty tricky to get here, so I arranged your flights. I'm enclosing the itinerary. I'll be waiting for you at the airstrip. See you on June 8th, Uncle Evan. P.S. Tell your dad the incredible symphonic cicadas should be emerging soon and this might be his last chance to hear them. That's the end of the letter. Behind the letter was a paper filled with flight numbers and times 
And finally, at the very bottom, these words, and this is in all capital letters, Arrival, The Lone Island. Jump ahead a little more. This is on page 18. Great flapping falcons, Milton cried, nose pressed to the window. What is the meaning of, ah! And the way that Milton speaks, I just love it. He is himself, his own unique self. He, I think he pulls in or he's um, adopted the language of this video game that he is in. So the, the story continues. The plane has begun to descend. Down, down, down. The, bi- the biplane splutter, sputtered and jerked down toward the long strip of concrete on the far side of, lo- of the Lone Island, where it came to a teeth-shattering landing that flung everything, crates, mailbags, straw-headed passengers around the cabin. Have we arrived? gasped Milton P. Green from the floor of the plane. And then it goes into chapter six, which is called Ahoy, Uncle Evan. The pilot hopped right out of the plane, but Milton spent a few moments lying flat on his back, catching his breath. And as I read this part in the book, I could not help but be transported right back to the island of Saba, a five square mile island that is 45 miles south of St. Martin in the Caribbean. I had the pleasure of leading, oh my gosh, was it 10 or 12 high school students from all around the country. And off we went. I was their leader. I was 21, 22 years old at the time. And we traveled off to this island in the Caribbean to do six weeks of community service. This is an island that is controlled by the Netherlands Antilles. And I will never, ever forget the moment when we arrived on the island of Seba, we were in this tiny little plane. I was in the front seat, just behind the pilots, and all of my students behind me. And the landing strip is, I think it's the smallest landing strip in the entire world. Literally, the plane, the pilot, goes in for the landing and jams on the brake and takes a huge, I think it was a left, so that you don't go off and end up in the ocean. And you'd like jerk on, they jerk on the, on the brakes and you are, your, your whole entire body goes forward. I'll never forget. I turned around and I looked at all of my students and they just like didn't, no one said a word. And their, their faces were all like in shock. And we were all thinking, oh my gosh, where did we just land? And are we landed or are we going off into the Caribbean? We did land. 
and we got out of the plane and we had arrived in one of the villages of this tiny island called Seba and it was known as Hell's Gate. And it was called Hell's Gate, you can imagine why, for a reason. It was really, really hot there. Like hell, if any of us had ever been to hell. And on this five square mile island, it was one of the remark most remarkable places I've ever been in in my life. The climate was, it would go from desert climate and when you hiked up to the top of Mount Scenery, the highest point in the island, or ran up, that's what I used to do, I used to run up to the top of Mount Scenery, you would step into a tropical rainforest. I, I Never in my life had I ever been, nor have I ever returned to a place where you could literally have one foot in a tropical rainforest and the other foot in, oh my gosh, I just like regular, regular land. I, I, I don't know what the term is. I'm sorry. Someone else knows. And you're probably thinking, you all know what you're ta- what, what I'm thinking of right now. And thank you for filling in the blanks for me. But it was remarkable. And I have such images in my mind of like literally one foot in the tropical rainforest and one foot outside. And it was like I was going into another land. It was like I was in outer space. And I was never at the top of Mount Scenery with another human being. I was always there by myself. And what a place it was. So for those of you that are listening, where are those places where you are completely alone and yet yet connected to the place where you are? And then where are those places where you are with other human beings and you're just taking it all in and appreciating it and loving every moment and appreciating every moment of this glorious place, wherever that is, whatever it looks like. And I'm going to pause for a moment thinking back to that concept of ma that I shared with my first graders that Rob Brenner picked up on because he always reads our comments and our overviews that we write about our, our work during the term. And Rob grabbed that term and then researched it even more and and shared that at our academic awards at the lower school academic awards so that con it's a japanese concept of ma the the silence the moment between sounds that is incredibly miraculous and precious so i'm going to 
be completely silent for a moment and let you all think about and imagine in your mind that place that is so special to you in your life. I hope that memory of your place, or maybe it was several places, brought some joy to your life just then. I'm gonna share another bit from um, a book called Trouble with a Tiny T. It's by Miriam Saunders, and this is from page two of the book. Quote, Uncle Marty was an explorer and adventurer, always traveling to distant lands, slinking through hidden pyramid passageways, looking for buried treasure. All that treasure is here now, stashed in boxes. There could be a pharaoh's chalice, or rubies and sapphires. Or maybe that mummified alien hand he told me he found during a dig in Albania for real. And so this book is all about this character who finds something and he's got some magic and it makes things come to life. So I highly recommend this book and it's helping me understand what it's like to be a student with or a child a human being with ADHD not sure if I should say this or not but I know a student very well who has ADD and during the session tomorrow I think I'm gonna have to ask a question of some of the people on the panel. You know, what's the difference between ADHD and ADD? I think I know, but I want to I want to get I want to hear from from professionals whose job it is to work with students with ADHD and or ADD. Um I don't know, as as a person, as a mother, as a teacher, I've kind of messed up here. I always felt like people could just through diet and exercise control ADHD and ADD and I and I've found that that's not true. So I'm sharing a bit of my ignorance with you and I share that with you because Maybe there's somebody out there listening to this podcast and and maybe it will help you help yourself and or help your children to to get over their or to figure out how to deal with their ADD or their ADHD quicker than I was able to help someone who's really special to me.
Here's another book from an author who will be in the panel that I'm moderating tomorrow. The book is called Something to Say, and it is by Lisa Moore Ramey. And this is how it begins. So there's a brother and sister. The brother is or was quite an amazing basketball player. And he went off to college to play basketball. And then he got injured. And this is the the younger sister who thinks that she's the cause of her brother getting injured. And she says, was it everything you wanted playing college ball? My question comes out as a shaky whisper. No, Malcolm says. He shifts around in, in the chair like he's trying to find a comfortable way to sit. It was hard. Like, really, really hard. The books there? No joke. Studying and practicing 24-7 was the hardest thing I've ever done. And if someone had asked me if I wanted a break, just a second to catch my breath, right? I might have said yes. Malcolm stares down at his knee. But not like this. No way. It was hard, but it was where I was supposed to be. His voice is low and sad. And so I shared that passage with you because maybe one of your places was college for you. Did you go there to study? Did you go there to play a sport? Did you go there to do something else? So think for a moment. Was college that you found? Was it a place where you fit in for a period of more forever? Are you still connected with your college? So I wanted to give you a moment to, to think about that. This passage is from the fourth of the five authors who will be involved in the panel tomorrow. This book is called Operation Frog Effect. It's by Sarah Scherger. And this, oh my gosh, this book, I'm put right back into fifth, sixth grade with this book. It is told from the perspective of eight different students. I think it's eight, I'm pretty sure. And oh my gosh, what an amazing book. It kind of reminds me of uh, like the amazing Mr. Terrupt um, or Mr. Terrupt Falls Again. There's a whole little series. That's a great, that's a great book as well. But this one is called Operation Frog Effect, again by Sarah Scherger. And this passage is Sharon's passage. And she says, I work alone, mostly. Sure, I sit in a table group. Sure, we talk. But they all think I'm weird. It's okay. I am weird. I don't have three eyes or purple polka dots, but there's something about me that's different. And sometimes different means strange. 
Mom says it's because I don't care about what other people think. But she's wrong. I do care about what people think. I find it fascinating. But I don't care to change me in order to make them like me. So I really admire Sharon because she is comfortable in her own skin. Not at all what I was like fifth grade and certainly not in middle school. So I applaud Sharon and she's quite a character. So I encourage you to write to, to read Operation Frog Effect by Sarah Scherger to, to find out more about these characters, these students. And so think for a moment about your middle school place. What was it like? Do you have memories? I have memories of my middle school. I have memories of being in Mr. Slokowski's science classroom. Mr. Slow, we all called him. I really didn't like science. It, it was too difficult for me. But I remember spending hours and hours and hours in his classroom during probably lunch, maybe study halls. I remember as an eighth grader, there were several of us that worked on the yearbook and he was the yearbook advisor. So we would spend lots of time in there creating the yearbook and, and putting that all together. But I have really vivid memories of being in his classroom. And he wasn't even always in there with us. He just left us alone. And there was a lot that happened in that classroom but I, I cherish those memories. So I'm going to read one other passage from this book, and it's on page 49. P.S. Now Ms. Graham's giving me a stack of new books every week. Parentheses. Not all fantasy, though. She's sneaking in realistic fiction, too. Close the parentheses. Today I'm reading The Crossover. And it's the kind of book I want to read out loud because it's filled up with poetry that sounds like music. And I wasn't much of a reader in middle school. I remember being, you know, loving reading in elementary school, middle school, not so much, definitely not when I was in high school. It wasn't until my 20s when I really found reading again. But I share this passage with you because I kind of wish, I, I remember spending time in my middle school library. I have an image of our librarian. I don't know if she was a certified librarian or just a clerk. I, I have no idea. I didn't understand those things at the time. I remember the fact that they tried to keep us really quiet. I don't remember them ever trying to put books in our hands and looking back I really wish that they had 
because maybe that would have pulled me into reading as a middle school student. I don't know. And it reminds me as a, as a teacher librarian now that I need to always, as much as I can, continue even to my, my students. And I, I, try to, I try to do this all the time, to, to put books in kids' hands, that, that especially the ones that tell me, I don't read, I don't read, Mrs. DiLorenzo. I try to put those books into their hands. And believe it or not, Kwame Alexander's The Crossover, I've put that in kids' hands. The, the same book that is quoted in this book right here, or that is mentioned in this book right here, because it's amazing. And I know that I might be able to turn on some students to reading by putting Kwame Alexander's The Crossover into kids' hands. Here's a passage from the fifth and final author on the panel tomorrow. The author's name is Kim Ventrella, and this book is called Hello, Future Me. This chapter starts on page 19, and it's called The Shop. So remember, we're thinking about places during this podcast. The Shop. We stepped inside. The shop of last resort was not even being dramatic here. Amazing and not at all what I'd I'd expected. What had seemed kind of creepy from the outside, what with all the long, drawn-out, creaky noises, turned out to be anything but. This place looked like a magic shop and a fantasy unicorn tea party had gotten into a fight and they'd both won. The walls were covered in pink velvet wallpaper that sparkled in the light from a dozen tinkling chandeliers. I drew in a sharp breath as a toy train decked out in purple sequins chugged past my head, horn blasting. It was riding on a track suspended in a tangled spiral from the ceiling. I watched for a moment as it climbed ever higher, weaving in and out of the gently swaying chandeliers. Every once in a while, it sent up puffs of purple smoke that filled the air with smell of grapes. All around, customers milled about, ooing and eyeing at the strange objects packed onto the hodgepodge of shelves. Most of the customers, tourists from the looks of them, sipped from steaming cups of tea and giggled as they read aloud the pink tags dangling from the objects. Laugh-o-matic specs, said a lady in a Bigfoot t-shirt holding up a pair of giant star-shaped sunglasses with a cracked lens. Never look at the world the same way again. She poked her friend, a lady with hair like a baby blue beehive, and shoved the glasses over her friend's ears. Her friend gasped and stumbled. The plastic lenses swirled like oil slicks in alternating shades of pink and purple. And then beehive lady started to laugh, really laugh, as in bent over, tummy rattling laughter what's wrong with her calvin said 
squeezing in close to my side to let more customers pass. No idea, I said, but I watched in wonder as a group of customers huddled around Beehive Lady, each begging for a turn with the apparently amazing specs. What is this place? It must be new, Calvin said. I followed his gaze as he struggled to take in all the weird stuff smushed into the small cramped space. The whole shop was about the size of my trailer, except rounder and packed with shelves. It was hard to get a good look at it all, with so many people squished together, but we couldn't miss the huge unicorn, like from a carousel with only half a horn. The tag read, quote, Dr. Sparkles, MD, heals minor cuts and bruises. Yeah, right, Calvin said. This place is so weird. Weird and awesome. I stared into the unicorn's bright blue eyes and couldn't help but shiver with excitement. It was all so cool and strange and totally unexpected. I was sure to find the perfect gift. And the main character is totally looking for the perfect gift for her mother, who is returning from a trip. She is an artist, and the main character had the perfect gift all figured out. It was this mug that when you put warm water into it, uh, it was Vincent Van Gogh and his ear actually falls off. But when she gets to the store to pick up this perfect gift, the store is closed. And so she and her friend Calvin are like, oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? And they stumble upon this store. So I'm going to continue reading here. This is on page 21. I slid my hand into my pocket and my heart sank. In all the panic and excitement, I had forgotten that I only had $2 to my name. I'd use the rest of my money to buy mom's other gift, the one currently locked inside Mountain Musings. And I couldn't ask to borrow money from Calvin because I knew he was saving up his allowance to buy a new mod for his favorite video game called Monster Deli. Tragedy. Clouds of doom and gloom. Oh my gosh, I'm totally reminded to Julia today, the moderator of a session called, I read the endings first. How do you read? What a phenomenal session it was. But she told us a story about she has a pocket of doom in her backpack and she also has folders of doom. And one of the authors on the panel asked permission of Julia, can I please use that in one of my books? And Julia said that was fine. But here we go. Today, on page 22 tonight, I'm reading Clouds of Doom and Gloom, and I am brought right back to that session today where Julia was talking about a folder of gloom and a, and a pocket of gloom where she would put the grades that I mean, the, the papers that were, the grades were not so great and they went into the folder of gloom and then the pocket of gloom. But I'm continuing on with Kim Ventrella's book here. Look at this, Calvin said. It was clear from his eye feelings and Ventrella talks about eye feelings and I've never thought about this before reading this book, that we understand people's feelings through their eyes. So it was clear from his eye feelings 
that the excitement was starting to rub off. He pointed to a stoplight with two missing bulbs and read the tag aloud. The all-seeing fixed signal lights up green whenever you're thinking about cake. Did I mention this place is super weird? Calvin said, scrunching up his forehead. I nodded, trying to force a smile, but I could feel the rain cloud growing bigger over my shoulder. Soon, I'd be drenched in my own personal rainstorm of failure. I let Calvin drag me around the shop, showing me item after amazing item. Like a chipped teapot that claimed to make any kind of tea taste like Earl Grey. A broken alarm clock that would chime any time your dog needed to poop and a half-melted microwave that could turn any liquid into pea soup. But it was hard to focus on all that when I could see my welcome home mom plans falling apart, literally. In my brain, the list I'd made to ensure maximum party awesomeness caught fire and crumbled into a million charred bits. Party over future ruined. How could I forget my tragic lack of funds? Two dollars. That wasn't enough to buy anything good, even at the mega store that shall not be named, aka Walmart. Hey, are you okay? You look kind of like you're freaking out. Calvin had stopped in a nook filled with broken toys. He deep breath, and I had to admit, I felt a little less freaked. I took the $2 from my pocket and showed him the crumpled bills. $2, huh? He said, rubbing his chin. Cool, that should be plenty. What? I said, wondering if I'd stepped into some bizarro universe in which Calvin suddenly forgot how money worked. $2, as in less than three, as in not enough to buy anything good ever. And can I crawl into a cave and starve now? Calvin's face split into a grin. Um, no, definitely not. Haven't you been looking at the price tags? Everything here is super cheap. Like, creepy cheap. That unicorn thing back there costs five bucks. What? I grabbed the nearest thing I could find. A Barbie with a missing head that claimed to give you perfect curls if you slept with it under your pillow. 25 cents. What is this place? That's what I said. Calvin laughed. Come on, let's find something for your mom. It's getting late. Yikes, double yikes. Did you see the time I said in a totally non-dramatic manner? We only have five minutes before dad comes to pick us up. That got me moving. We squeezed past tourists in Bigfoot t-shirts and those foam foot hats, looking for anything mom might like. Her main interests were painting, Vincent Van Gogh especially, New York, her hometown, and sketching, which is basically painting, except with pencils or charcoal. We nudged our way into every nook. Is it weird that all this stuff is broken? Calvin asked, staring up at a shelf of broken kitchen supplies. And what's with the tags? Are we supposed to believe this stuff is actually magical? I don't think so, I said, hurrying down the only aisle we had yet to explore. I think it's supposed to be a joke. Like, Hey, look at this broken thing. Isn't it totally useless? But wait, it has a funny label. Let's buy it. Marketing strategy, Calvin said, rubbing his chin again. Chin again. Smart. Ooh, I bet we can find something in, in there. The last aisle was mostly filled with stuffed animals, all covered in stains 
with the stuffing spilling out. They smelled too like dusty barf, but at the end was this giant wooden crate packed full of junk. On the side of the crate, someone had written in glittery back black paint, odds and ends, everything, one dollar. One dollar? I like the sound of that. I dove in, not, not literally dove, but you get the idea. Wading through broken Game Boys, Frisbees, a waffle maker with only the top half, pink skates with no wheels, a deflated bike tire, a bent retainer. It's useless, I said, giving the crate a kick. That sent the junk inside tumbling to reveal an object of true and utter perfection. A ball of tingly awesomeness swelled inside my chest as I pulled the piece of torn canvas free. It wasn't just any ordinary piece of canvas. The cloth looked old and yellowed on the back and on the front was a painting. An impossible painting. An amazing perfect painting that mom would totally love. I ran a shaky finger over the uneven ridges of paint. The image itself wasn't that great. Two boring sunflowers, one face up, the other face down. Also, it had a big tear down the middle, like the artist had gotten angry and decided to to destroy his own work. The cool thing, the totally perfect thing, was that I recognized it. Remember how I said that mom was obsessed with Vincent van Gogh? He's probably most famous for painting the starry night, but he also did this whole series where he painted nothing but sunflowers. These were sunflowers. Torn up, kind of ugly sunflowers, but still. And I'll end that passage there because that crazy place that she and and Calvin had entered completely reminds me of this place that I'm pretty sure my youngest son stopped at with his grandparents on their way up to Vermont this weekend. We always call it the Vanilla Store. It's in West Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And I can never remember the real name of the store. So I looked on my refrigerator and because I thought I gave him a magnet that has the name of the place. And I didn't find that magnet. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe I missed it. But I did find a magnet that says the Red Lion Inn, Stockbridge, Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And oh my gosh, what a place. The memories come flooding back for me because one of my dear friends, I will always think of her as one of my soul sisters, Barbara. She and her husband got married in the Red Lion Inn. And before Steve and I went up to that wedding, 
my parents were invited as well because my mom and dad are good friends with Barbara too. In fact, when Barbara moved to Bethlehem away from her family to become the site administrator at the Bellamy Faraday House and Gardens, she went to the local print shop, my dad's place, to get some printing done. And they became great friends. They even have had a pseudo book club, just the two of them. And I'm so sorry that I'm I'm so caught up right now and I'm a little bit shaky. I try not to do that. But memories flooding, flooding back. Because it's incredible how the world works. I haven't talked to Barbara in a while. And maybe a week and a half ago, she instant messaged me through Facebook asking if I could maybe connect her in some way with a library project, connect her daughter, Julia, with a library project this summer. And I was like, at that point, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this summer I, I have projects and everything. And I messaged her right back and I was like, oh my gosh, I have a project right now for her to work on. And so I think I mentioned this already. Um, in last week's podcast. But I connected with her daughter, Julia, last Friday, just one week ago. And truly one of the highlights of the past year for me was connecting with Julia and learning about how she reads (sighs) and her passion for reading. And our conversation And her words became the session or part of the session title for today's panel that she, that Julia moderated today. So what an incredible circle this has all been that I came across tonight, this magnet that says the Red Lion Inn. And what comes rushing back to me is this flood of memories from Barbara and Will's wedding that was so amazing um, and so fun and so special. And I remember I drove up, of course, with my husband and and my parents, the four of us drove up together and we stopped at the brewery for lunch. Another place. And it was there. that Steve and I shared with my parents that we were expecting. I'm sorry, I'm so choked up. I'm really sorry that we were expecting our first child. And baby became Alec, my oldest son. So crazy, wild memories, that place, those places. And I hope that you are thinking of so many special places in your life. So back to, I started to look for the name of the vanilla store and got sidetracked with the Red Lion Inn. And I had to go find a bottle of vanilla from the vanilla store. And of course, on that 
little bottle, it says, prepared by Charles H. Baldwin and Sons, Westock Bridge, Massachusetts. So I'm pretty sure that my younger son, Aaron, and my dear parents, his grandparents stopped there on their way up to Vermont this weekend. A special, almost annual trip. Didn't get to go last year during the pandemic. I'm not up there for the whole time because it's Nerd Camp CT, Junior today, Junior tomorrow, and Big People's Camp um, on Saturday, which is amazing. So I couldn't miss that. But right after Nerd Camp CT tomorrow, I will be hopping in my car. It is all packed, and I will be driving up to Vermont to go to camping at the Batten Kill to join my incredible family and my friends, many people um, on my my street in my neighborhood, the Mans, they'll be there. And I'm hoping that when I'm up there, I could do a little bit of on-site recording um, and that some of them will share a little bit about this really special place in all of our lives, camping on Batten Kill in Arlington, Vermont. I'm going to stop there. And thank you for listening for now. And hopefully you'll get to hear, for the first time, some other people. Maybe they'll share their voices about their favorite place, or one of their favorite places, camping on the Batten Kill. Well, I didn't get to record any other voices up on camping at the Batten Kill. So I will just leave you with your own memories of special places in your life. Until next time, thank you for listening.